here. It is Kelly Amsas, the genealogy investigator. I'm really, really excited for you guys to be joining me tonight for another episode of Crime Travel in Slate, Ohio. Um, so tonight we are actually recording episode 21. Um, I just kind of wanted to start us off on um, just some genealogy stuff because I think it's interesting to kind of incorporate that. Um, I'm a professional genealogist. I'm the genealogy investigator. Um, I've been doing genealogy for quite a while now. Um, and I just kind of like to share tips and tricks because I think it's important that we lift each other up. So I wanted to talk about some organization and some research before we get into our crime story today. Um, and... I always like to ask different people how they organize their genealogy research. And you're no different. How do you organize your genealogy research? Do you use a binder? Do you use folders? Do you use an electronic format? Do you do all three? Um, this is a really great debate uh, in the genealogy community. And it's kind of like, you know, what is the proper way to put on the toilet paper roll, front or behind, if you think about it? Um, you know, each has their own advantages. Folders have advantages if you have the space. Binders can make it easy to transport um, or share your research findings with others. It, but, you know, using both works too, right? Or using electronic, digital, 100% digital options work too. So, I just wanted to give you guys some really great tips um, just to help share putting your family history research binders together. Um, just because I, I hope that is one of your options because it, it does come in handy. I, I'm kind of an all three type of person. I really like my binders though because they do travel well. So as I was kind of thinking about this, I had like six things that I think are vital when you are trying to put together your research system for your genealogy. And you want to start with your supplies. Think about, you know, what kind of folders, if you're a folder person, you want. What kind of system you want to set up if you're digital. What kind of binder you want to use. Um, and when I say that, you know, think about durability. Think about size. That's always really, really important. Um, think about your end goal. You know, what what is the scale of your project that you're trying to file away? Because that can make a really big difference as well. Um, I tend to use like really big binders, um, which are kind of clunky, but at the same time, like I like to, to gather as much information as I can. And then you need to choose your organizational method. So, you know, I say that's like number two. Are you an ancestral filer? Um, so your, your filing system organizes around a single family. Um, do you file by married couples? Do you file by surnames? Uh, maybe it's geographic location that you're filing by, or it's just record type in general. Um, I tend to do surnames. I, I don't know how common that is or not, but that seems to kind of be my, uh, my madness. Um, the third thing is to, to fill out those pedigree charts, um, whether you're doing them online or you're doing them manually. Um, however, whatever method that you're using, make sure that you're doing those and put those in your binder or your folder system or your electronic folder just so that you have a quick glance of who's in what family and how that how that pedigree chart works itself out. Um, it just can kind of be a little bit handy there. And then you want to create section openers. And kind of what I mean by this is, you know, it might be helpful to begin with your ancestors' um, 
you know, fact sheet maybe or a biography on the person, just so everything's kind of at a quick glance. Then you want to add and track your records because it's really important to figure out, you know, the, the detailed list of where you found your ancestor, um, where they're at from birth to death. I kind of like to do this in a timeline. Um, if you know me, you know me. I like timelines. I think that they give a quick synopsis of exactly what was happening in that person's life and help add to their story. And that's a great place to put this. Um, and then finally, you know, you want to put that binder together. So I don't want to take a whole lot of time on this, but I just think it's kind of important uh, when we're dealing with our genealogy to make sure that it has a safe place to house. Um, so those are just some quick tips. You can read more about them on the blog. So please feel free to check that out. It's uh, my website, www.thegenealogyinvestigator.com. And I'm super excited and I just have to get to it. So tonight we are talking about the lad who killed his mother. And I'm hoping that you guys are really going to like this one. I actually stumbled on this one in a really weird way. Um, so I'm really excited to share. So I'm going to take us back to the 14th of January of 1908. This story originally published on page one of the Times in Streeter, Illinois. And I apologize if I said that incorrectly. But the title read in really big, bold black letters, Lad Killed His Mother. And the story says that um, the son of John Hazel, who was the former streeterite in Illinois, he used, used a hammer in a Toledo tragedy. So this is going to happen in Toledo. And our character is Harvey Hazel. He's 17 years old. He is under arrest in Toledo, Ohio, with a charge of murdering his mother, who is listed as Mrs. John F. Hazel. And she's formerly of Streeter, Illinois. Um, Harvey... He made a confession of his awful crime, according to the newspaper reports, and he declares that he killed his mother because she would not give him money with which to buy Christmas gifts for a young lady friend. So it says that the Streeter, Illinois relatives were shocked when they heard the news and they're unable to account for the actions of Mr. Harvey Hazel. According to the boy's confession, after he killed his mother, he took some money from the house and went to the theater with a friend and later went to see the young lady in question where it is said he was finally arrested. The murder is said to have been committed while his mother had laid in bed. The boy used a hammer, crushing the unfortunate woman's skull with two blows. The second struck as she turned over in pain to learn with horror that it was her own son who was the assailant. The remains of Miss Hazel were taken to Aurora, Illinois, and um, were buried. She was buried there. The funeral was held in Aurora as well, at the home of the descendant's father, Elijah Perigo. Um, so we know that Mrs. John F. Hazel, um, her maiden name is Perigo. Um, and she was laid to rest at Spring Lake Cemetery in Illinois. So we start off and, and we have this tragedy going on. Um, it says that there's like quotes here, which is really interesting. And it says that the relatives here believe that the boy was seized with a sudden mental aberration and that under the influence he committed the terrible deed. They believe that the reports in the Chicago newspapers are exaggerated and state that the parents have done everything they could for the boy. They say that when the family left Detroit last spring, they had the boy go back to Illinois from Toledo so that he could attend school there, and they had given him every advantage possible. Mrs. Hazel 
will be well remembered in Aurora, <coughs> excuse me, as Jesse Perigo. And her father, Elijah Perigo, had resided in the same residence in La Salle Street for over 50 years. The daughter was at one time a teacher in the East Aurora School District in Illinois. Um, and so we're in quotes still. Only six weeks ago, Miss Hazel and her son visited in Aurora, Illinois. The relatives in Illinois say that at the time, the, the youth seemed to be all right, that he was a very fond of his mother and that he was a very considerate good boy. Um, they say that even ever since uh, Christmas time that he had received letters. Oh, sorry, that they had received letters from both the son and the mother, the two missives being enclosed in one envelope. Both told of the presents they had received and thanked the Aurora relatives for the gifts. Um, so there is a sketch of Mrs. Jesse Perigo. Um, sorry, I have to look here what her name is. Um, Hazel, right? Because she married John F. Hazel. So this is this is the mother who, who had died. And in quotes again, it says, Jesse Perigo was born in Aurora about 40 years ago and grew to womanhood here. She was a teacher in the East Aurora schools for several years and was married in 1890 to John F. Hazel, who was at one time an engineer on the E, J, and E. After living in various cities, the family went to Battle Creek, Michigan, where the father, John F. Hazel, was engaged in railroad work. He left there for Detroit when he was appointed master mechanic of the Shoreline Railroad. When the new shops were built in Toledo, the family moved to the city, where they have since made their home. The mother of Miss, Mr. Hazel is now living in Aurora at the home of her daughter, Mrs. Burt Kastner. The deceased leaves the husband and son, the father... A sister, Mrs. George T. Chambers of Aurora, and a brother, Myron Perigo, a well-known Aurora printer, who is now working in Chicago. Their mother died about five years ago, and the father is in feeble health. The sympathy of the community is expressed, where the, expressed everywhere for the stricken family. Um, and then it says, formerly of Streeter, Illinois, John Hazel, husband of the dead woman, is a member of the Hazel family who resided on East Hickory Street in what is now the Harvey property for many years. He lived in the city before his marriage, and we believe for a short time afterwards. Many people will remember him, but it is not thought that his wife was widely acquainted there, which is really interesting as well. So... I was like, okay, that's really interesting, but what happened next? So, a couple days later, on the 15th of January, 1908, I found in another article in page, uh, page one of the Herald News in Jolet, Illinois. And the headline read, Young Hazel was born here. And it says, Boy who killed his mother lived on Landish Avenue. Jolette, friends of the Hazel family, former residents of the city, were shocked by the announcement in last night's news that Mrs. Hazel had been killed at her home in Toledo, Ohio, by her 17-year-old son, Harvey. Those who had known the family could hardly believe this to be true, but the facts are as stated. The son is in jail at Toledo, held on a charge of murder. The remains of his mother reached Aurora, where her father lived yesterday morning, and were given burial yesterday afternoon. The tragedy caused sincere grief in many Aurora homes where Mrs. Hazel had been well known in her girlhood. The boy who committed the terrible deed was born in Jolet, Illinois. At the time, his parents lived in a house at 304 Landau, Landau, I think it is, Avenue. Previous to that time, the family had boarded at the thome, or home of Miss Russell on Benton Street. 
Old-time neighbors on Landau Avenue recall the birth of the son 17 years ago. He was a bright baby and as a child gave no evidence of that brutal instinct which would permit him to slay his mother. The father, John F. Hazel, was for a number of years employed as an engineer on the E, J, and E at the point and will be remembered by several of the older employees. The family moved from here to Battle Creek, it is believed, and some years later located in Detroit and then moved to Toledo. Mr. Hazel is a master mechanic for the Shoreline Railroad. Following the burial of his wife, he returns to Toledo to take up the burden placed upon him by his son's awful deed. So, we're just kind of getting taken here. Um, and I just kind of kept going. So, on the 17th of December, 1908, the Stark County Democrat uh, posted on page three, um, 11 years treatment in the Mansfield Reformatory is the only thing that will determine whether Harvey Hazel can even become a useful citizen. It is the opinion of Dr. H.C. Iman, who is the superintendent of the Massillian State Hospital and who is one of the expert witnesses for the defense in the case of Harvey Hazel, the 17-year-old boy charged with murder of his mother on January 11th and who was on trial in Judge Moore's courtroom. He says Hazel should be kept at Mansfield until he is 28 years of age. By the time he reaches that age, he will have safely passed the adolescent period and will either be cured or be a hopeless case. This opinion the defense attempted to get to the jury on Saturday when it asked the expert of the state his opinion as to the future condition of Hazel. It was ruled out by the court. Hazel can be treated at Mansfield, and if it is possible for him to be cured, it will develop there. His case might be hopeless, and on the other hand, a cure might be affected. So we're kind of figuring out like, what is going on here. What's going on with Mr. Hazel, who is now in jail? So on the 24th of December, 1908, it says that the headlines um, on the Times recorder on page one read, Hazel gets second degree. Toledo boy must go to the pen for life for killing his mother. So after deliberating for 12 hours, the jury in the case of Harvey Hazel, the 17-year-old boy charged with the murder in the first degree for killing of his mother at 10 o'clock tonight returned a verdict of murder in the second degree. The finding of the jury means that the boy must go to the penitentiary for the remains, remainder of his natural life. Harvey Hazel was placed on trial on November 30th, accused of slaying his mother by beating her to death with a hammer. Robbery was assigned as the cause. So he gets uh, life in the penitentiary. So on the 26th of December of 1908, a couple days after he was given his sentence, the P Pequa leader dispatch posted a story that reads, Teacher's Mistake. And it is said to have resulted in a boy becoming a matricide. Um, so it says a teacher's mistake years ago is said to have resulted in um, his actual name is actually Don Harvey Hazel. Um, but Harvey Hazel becoming the murderer of his mother. He uh, had been found guilty of killing his parent and was sentenced to life imprisonment in the Ohio Penitentiary. When the boy was going to school in the earlier part of his life, um, which he is 17 at this point, his tutor unintentionally called him Hazel when she wanted him to recite or to do something for her. This continued for some time, the teacher not knowing that Hazel 
Hazel was the pupil's last name. The boy resented the, um, the, 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 oh, he was getting bullied. Sorry. He was getting bullied by the girls in his class who were named Hazel. When the teacher learned of her error, she apologized, but he did not let the matter rest. He played um, truant for two weeks and concealed the fact from his parents. His parents were eventually notified, and fearing that he would be severely punished, Harvey ran away, became a tramp, um, and it says in quotes, evil association ruined him. So, remember, we're in 1908 here. So, on January 11, 1908, he went to his parents' home in Salido and slay, slew his mother by hitting her over the head with a hammer. According to the jury's verdict, Hazel was, um, he hoped for a pardon or a parole. And he actually smiled when the jury gave out their verdict, which is kind of twisted, right? So, we are just kind of building and it's really interesting. So, his teacher called him Hazel, which is his last name. And he didn't like being bullied, so he took offense to it. So now we're going to flip over. It's the new year. It's the 4th of February of 1909. The Times recorder posted on page one, Harvey Hazel gets life sentence. So it reads, Harvey Hazel, the 17-year-old boy found guilty of the murder of his mother, was this afternoon sentenced to life imprisonment in the Ohio State Penitentiary at Columbus, Ohio. Hazel was convicted of slaying his mother on January 11th, 1908 by beating her to death with a hammer, after which he robbed her of $57. The case attracted considerable attention because of the defense of adolescent insanity. So just kind of keep that in the back of your mind for a minute. Um, so now we fast forward. That was 1909. We're going to go to 1913. It's the 19th of July. Um, we are in the, oh, I'm going to mess this up. Koshkatan. Daily Times in Ohio, and it's the headlines read, Mystery Shrouds Case. Father wants son convicted of mother's murder in prison. So, John F. Hazel, who is the father of Don Harvey Hazel, who is now 23 years old, he pleaded with the executive secretary, Russell, at the governor's office to keep his boy in the penitentiary, where he was now serving his life sentence for the alleged murder of his mother six years ago. The State Board of Pardons recommended the boy's release on the grounds that the board members believe he is innocent. So I couldn't find anything that said why they're coming to this conclusion that he's innocent, but obviously there was something going on, which is really wacky because our first article said he had confessed, right? So, Russell, um, who's the executive secretary, after talking with the elder Hazel, said the father seems to be of the opinion that his boy should not be released at this time. He thinks that if the youth killed his mother, it was during a period of insanity, and that if the boy was at liberty, this condition might occur again. Governor Cox will withhold executive action until the elements of the mystery are made clear. So, nothing was decided at this point, but... His father is pleading for him to stay in prison. So, on the 18th of December, 1913, a couple months later here, the Chillicothe Gazette, on page 2, writes that uh, a movement is on foot to secure a pardon for Don Harvey Hazel, the 16-year-old Toledo boy who is in for life for killing his mother. He has served six years. And on the 8th of January of 1915, so we went from 1913 to 1915 here, the Chronicle-Telegram posted a story on page 3 that said that he, he murderer is to go free. 
Toledoland will leave Ohio prison in June. And it says Governor Cox yesterday commuted to 10 years the life sentence of Don Harvey Hazel of Toledo, who killed his mother in 1908 and was sent to the penitentiary for murder in the first degree. He will be released in June of 1915. The State Board of Pardons recommended his unconditional release nearly a year ago, but no action was taken by the governor then. Hazel is now 24 years old and was only 16 when he entered prison. Um, he had been become an expert electrician and a gas engineer, it is said. Since the Board of Pardons took its action, Hazel has been under close investigation by the governor. Once he was called to come to the governor's office, and this morning, Dr. A.F. Shepard, a member of the State Board of Pardons, had a long talk with Hazel at the prison. Later, Dr. Shepard told the governor he believed Hazel is thoroughly normal and that if he was defective when he entered the penitentiary, a physical and moral generation had come out. Harvey has been a good prisoner and earned good time, which reduced his 10-year term to about eight years of actual punishment. So that's kind of interesting, right? And then on the 8th of June of 1918, the Daily Sentinel uh, Tribune in Bowling Green posted a story that says Toledo Boy released from Ohio Penn. Um, Don Harvey Hazel of Toledo, boy murderer, who six years ago, when 16 years of age, entered the state penitentiary under life sentence for murder of his mother, was released today. He entered the prison uneducated, developed marked mechanical traits when in the prison, and his good behavior led to commutation of his sentence. He will go to Aurora, Illinois to meet to make his home with an aunt and will be the first to exemplify Warden Thomas's theory that a prison is a cure, not a punishment. So that is a quite interesting case, right? Um, I do want to note that this was one of Toledo's most noted murder mystery cases, along with our next case that's upcoming, the Overmeyer case, uh, which the headline reads, Overmeyer faces charges of murder in connection with the Lemoyne burglary. So stay tuned for that. But um, I hope you guys really like this story because I found it very, very interesting. Um, I was looking for more information on what happened to Mr. Harvey Hazel. Um, he was actually born on the 24th of May of 1891 in Joliet, Illinois, and I found that he actually died on the 19th of May of 1917 in Detroit, Wayne, Michigan, and was buried in Aurora, Kane, Illinois. Um, so that's kind of interesting because he got out of prison in 1915 and he only lived for two years after that. Um, I don't have any information on how he died um, or what the cause was, and I, I haven't been able to find anything, so I am still looking, but it's quite interesting. And I did find a 1910 census that shows Harvey Hazel as an 18-year-old inmate in Columbus, uh, Ward 8, in Franklin, Ohio, where he was sentenced. So that's kind of interesting as well. Um you know, on the death record that I do have, um, it's vague, but it does show that his father was John F. Hazel and his mother was Jesse Pergo, um, and it is filed with the Michigan Department of Community Health. So, quite interesting. Um, <laughs> definitely a case of twists and 
turns and I think it's really awesome that I was able to trace it the almost the entire length which is fascinating I mean there was a lot of things going on um, but because it was one of Toledo's uh most notorious and well-documented murders, um, you know, it made it a little bit easier. So I hope you guys really enjoyed that. Um, just a couple other things that are going on. It is the Christmas season. I hope everybody is getting ready for the holiday. Um, I do have gift certificates available. As we start to think about the upcoming holidays and shopping for those dreaded folks who seem to have everything, you know who I'm talking about, why not give them a gift that keeps on giving the gift of genealogy? Um, my gift certificates are available. They're perfect for printing and adding to that stocking for four hours of research time for $200 with me. Um, that's going to include a free kickoff consultation, a customized research report to help your loved one learn their ancestor stories and share for generations to come, as well as options to add customized family tree prints for display and um, other add-ons at their request. But don't miss out because I'm only... Um, selling a select number of gift certificates. Um, I've been really, really fortunate this year. So, um, you know, I, I have to put like a cap on it because I don't want to not meet expectations, but there's sure to be a hit under the tree this season, especially if you're looking for a really unique gift that keeps on giving. And then I just kind of wanted to touch on something else. If you're looking for a really cool gift, um, why not display your family tree? Celebrate and share your ancestors by having a custom family tree made for print. Family tree displays can make thoughtful gifts for your loved ones or even serve as icebreakers for curious relatives. They are valuable research tools that help really sum up your family history process, sure up those genealogy gaps that you might have, and help provide an at-a-glance reference reminder of where you come from. Family trees are also really popular features at family reunions and even weddings now, which is really awesome. Charts and trees are a great way to show family members the geographic areas and time frames of how family has moved through the past. It's a really incredible, powerful tool, and it can help show names and or even photographs of ancestors to really bring their stories to life. I offer a few customizable options that I can create using your guidance and send in a file that is yours forever to print and distribute as needed. The family trees can be printed and displayed on walls or used within a family research binder to bring all the research together. My family trees are really creative and unique as I work with you to tell your ancestor stories in a beautiful way to be displayed and carried on for generations to come. So I hope you guys enjoyed the episode tonight. I can't wait to talk to you guys in two weeks. And as always, if you have any great ideas or anything, please shoot them my way. My email address is all over the place on the blog, um, on the podcast episode. And if you want to read instead of listen or do both, check out the blog as well. So thank you guys so much. Have a great night and I'll see you in two weeks.